Amen. Amen and amen. Welcome to Vertical Life Church. You guys doing all right today? Awesome. I'm so glad to see everybody here. It's just another exciting time to be with the family of God. It warms my heart, and I just love the presence of the Lord. Uh, My name is Pastor Joey. For those of you that are new, welcome to Vertical Life Church. We believe everyone matters to God, so you matter. And we're so thankful that you came today. And we hope that your time here, you sense that, that you sense God's love for you. Uh, he gave his life on the cross of Calvary to not only pay your sin debt, but to invite you to become part of his family. That's pretty special. And if you've not made that decision today to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, my challenge to you today would be to do that before you leave. And it will radically transform your life. I know it did mine. Uh, we just have a few announcements. Uh, today, the video you just watched was for our Man Up conference, March 1st and 2nd. It's a men's conference, so we're inviting all the dudes here. Uh, if you are, are interested in going down, it's just a great time to, to have fellowship with other men, to be challenged as a man of God, to live uh, a godly life, to lead your family well, leave a godly legacy. And there's tons of fun stuff this year. They're going to have different strongman competitions. So if you're man enough to enter the competition, we double-dog dare you to come and give it a shot. There's axe throwing and some other things that are going to be happening. So lots and lots of fun stuff, not to mention incredible speakers that I know will have an impact on your life. So again, March 1st and 2nd, it's a Friday evening and a Saturday morning. Cost is $20 a person. And uh, if you're interested in going, please uh, see me so I can kind of have a count as well as we have a sign-up sheet at the VIP table. Hit that on your way out. Sign your name up. Let us know so that as we're getting closer, we can contact everyone and arrange transportation because we plan on carpooling. We need to know how many seats that we need and how many plan on going. As well as, just as every week, Tuesday evenings at 7 to Celebrate Recovery. It's off to a great start. If you've not made it out to Celebrate Recovery, I didn't challenge you to do so just to see what God is doing. Uh, it's, a, it's a program that helps you overcome every hurt, habit, and hang-up. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. Everybody in this world, in this life, is broken in some way. We all need God to help clean up the mess of our lives. So whether you're dealing with grief or loss or you've got just a a habit or something that you've just not been able to kick, this is the place you want to be for accountability and to see God do a transformation in your life. As well as this evening at 5.30, as always, we're hosting prayer night in our home. We invite everyone out to be a part of that. The Spirit of God has just been thick And uh, it's amazing to see how even the little time we've begun doing this, he's been answering prayer. It is a highlight to our week, and we just invite each and every one of you out to be a part of that. It doesn't matter if if you're confident and comfortable praying in front of people, just come and be a part of it. Be there and see what God could do in your life and and how God can answer your prayers. Wednesday evening are our uh, life groups. We have a, a life group hosted in the Callahan's home. Chris and Stephanie Callahan, and we're going deeper into our Sunday morning messages. So if something strikes your heart or or you hear something that God begins to work in your life in the Sunday morning messages, you'll be able to discuss that with other believers and, and go deeper together as we endeavor to not just engage people where they are, but lead them to becoming fully developed followers of Jesus Christ to help each and every one of us grow in our walk with the Lord. And then also, immediately following our service today, uh, we're going to, once we dismiss, we're going to invite all the parents to go quickly and get your children from the nursery so the nursery staff can get their area cleaned up because we're going to have our annual church business meeting right in here 
immediately following the service. So if you're a member or a regular attender, we invite you to stay. We're going to be going over our financial snapshot for the year, kind of discuss some things uh, that uh, is, is important in the life and matter of our church, and uh, begin praying together about maybe some next steps that God has uh, on the horizon. God's opened a really God-sized opportunity for us, and uh, it's just going to be exciting to begin to pray about that together and to kind of step through maybe what God is doing in our life as a church. So those are our announcements. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump right into our message. Heavenly Father, thank you again for bringing us here. Thank you for safety on the road. Thank you for loving us so much that you gave your own life on the cross, that you sent Jesus, your one and only Son, to give his life for us, to pay the payment we could never pay, to live the life we could have never lived, and to open the door not only of salvation, but just of relationship with you, to help us find the reason why we are created, and that is to be in fellowship with our Heavenly Father, to be in a loving relationship, to worship, and to know you. So God, I pray that you continue to cultivate that hunger to know you more, to seek wisdom. As we get into the book of Proverbs and we look at these different areas of life and what the Word of God says about these areas of our lives, God, I pray that we wouldn't push against, but we would be open to receive from your Holy Spirit today. I pray, God, that when you convict, we wouldn't harden our hearts, but God, that we would receive it and respond. That when you give us a call to action, we would stand up and move forward in faith. God, that we begin to really, truly live as disciples of Jesus Christ, as game changers and world changers for the glory of God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen and amen. We are in week five of our series, Walk with the Wise, and we, we've begun this series really just to see God's Word, what God's Word has to say about different areas that we wrestle with and struggle with. You know, the Bible is full of wisdom, and the book of Proverbs was actually written by the wisest man to have ever lived, King Solomon, and a few others later kind of gave some input and added some of their own nuggets of wisdom, but mostly this was written by King Solomon, who uh, God came to him one night, and he said, Solomon, I'm going to give you uh, one request. I think this is the only man in history God's ever done this, Uh, and he said, I'm going to give you a request. Whatever you want, I'll give it to you. You want riches, you want wealth, whatever it is, I'll give it to you. And Solomon asked for wisdom. And God was so moved by his request. Not only did he give him wisdom beyond his wildest dreams, but he also blessed him with wealth and finances and everything he could possibly imagine. And so over the course of Solomon's life, these these, uh, nuggets of wisdom have been recorded and left for us so that we too could have a snapshot into God's heart to see how we should live, how we should conduct ourselves so that we can not only honor God with our lives, but live a very blessed life. You see, we have an enemy in this life that Jesus said is his only purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. And every time he gets you to kind of walk away from God's path and God's will for your life, he brings dysfunction and struggle and pain into your life. And that breaks the heart of God. In the beginning of this book of Proverbs, in, in Proverbs chapter 1, you can read it. It's, it's like a, a letter, a love letter from a father to a son. But you can even see it as God's letter to you saying, My child, my child, pursue wisdom and be blessed. Avoid the dangers in the avoid the temptations of this life because those will bring hardship, pain, and suffering. But follow God, fear the Lord, worship Him wholeheartedly, and you will live a very blessed life. 
life. And this is why we're getting into the Word, because I believe there are so many influences vying for our attention, vying to have a place in our lives to help lead us down the path to dysfunction and struggle. And God wants us to take another path. And so we've been looking at different areas of life. Last week, we started looking at kind of the, the stages of life, and, and we looked at wisdom for our latter years and how we can live for a godly legacy. Today, we're going to talk about parenting. Somebody say parenting. Parenting. We're going to talk about wisdom for parenthood, and we're going to discuss some things and look at God's Word. And I know that there might be some people here today that, that you might have some tension today because oftentimes when we declare truth, there's, there's sometimes God kind of gets to the root of maybe some heart issues. Just know today that I have a heart of love for you. There is no perfect parent in this world. Can I get an amen, parents? There's no perfect parent. There's no perfect home. So don't, don't feel judged or, 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 or cast down because no matter who is in this room today, somebody's got a mess somewhere in their life. There's no perfect parent. So we're looking at the truth to help us all be better and to be more blessed. But uh, one of the most popular verses about parenting, and you could probably all quote it from your own minds. This has been said time and time again as Proverbs 22.6 and in the old King James Version, which I think is probably the most popular version of this verse, it says this. It says, train up a child, read it with me, in the way he should go, and when he is older, he will not depart from it. If you have your Bibles with you, you can flip to Proverbs chapter 22. If you have a, a cell phone on you in the YouVersion Bible app, you can also follow along to the notes on uh, our live events page. All the verses will be there for you. But this is probably the most popular verse about parenting in all the Bible. And it's quoted often. Another translation, the New Living Translation, says it this way. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. And I want to address this verse of Scripture today and hit it right up front to remind you that the book of Proverbs is a unique book. It is written... And it is filled with wise sayings. Now, a wise saying is not the same as a truth, right? A wise saying is a, is a saying, it's a phrase that is mostly, if not usually, true. It is different than a promise of God. A promise of God, you can take it to the bank, you can cash that check any day of the week. It will always be true, but our wise saying is situationally true. It is mostly true. If you follow it, you will usually find that, yeah, that's right. But wise sayings aren't always true because this is a messed up, broken world, and sometimes bad things just happen no matter how good or how intentional you are doing what is right. You know, you're trying to be a fitness person, and, and you're trying to lose weight, and you're jogging in, the, in, the, um, in the, the city park, and you're doing that week after week to stay fit, and you're doing everything right. You can't help it if a mugger comes out and puts an end to your fitness routine. You, you can't help the things that just go wrong sometimes. So it doesn't matter that, that this is in the Word of God. A wise saying is simply that is a wise saying. And many people have looked at this verse and have counted it to be a promise rather than a wise saying. And they have prodigal sons and daughters well into their adult lives, and they wonder, how come God failed us? 
How come God failed us? Train up a child in the way they should go. I did my very best, and my child wants nothing to do with God. You have to ask the question. Now, I believe in the book of Proverbs, God does include some promises. He does. There are many promises we can find in the book of Proverbs. But again, without a proper understanding about how a book was written and the intent of the scriptures we read, we can often misinterpret and mistranslate passages of scripture. And there is a harsh reality for many parents who are grieving prodigal sons and daughters. But the thing about this particular verse is that it's a very unique scripture because I believe that this verse is actually a wise saying. It's general wisdom. But I also believe situationally it could also be a promise. You might think, well, well, how is that? You know, there are parents out there that, that, that have lived a different uh, reality with this verse. You know, the, the deal is this, that no matter, again, no matter how well-intentioned a parent is, every child has free will. Every child has the right to decide within themselves whether they're going to choose Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, whether they're going to begin a relationship with God, whether or not they're going to honor and live to glorify God with their lives. No matter how great of a parent you are, we cannot, with the best of intentions, guarantee our children will turn out okay. So this is general wisdom, but I also believe it can be a promise. Now, if we were to look at different types of parents, I just want to read some statistics to you. According to a recent Barna survey of families of ministers, these are like pastors or pastor families, 40% of pastors with children 15 years or older said their kids went through a period of time where they sincerely doubted their faith, 40%. 33% of pastors say their kids are no longer active in the church, and 7% of pastors say their children walked away from faith altogether. Now that's sobering for me. But if you think about it, if anyone has the knowledge and or wisdom and the tools in their tool belt to raise their children in the way they should go, you would think it would be pastors, right? Professional ministers, people that are in the Word of God all the time. You know, one of the qualifications or traits pastors need to have to, to be qualified for the ministry is one who rules their house or leads their house well. If their house is in disarray, they'll not be effective ministers. Why? Because your family is your first ministry. If your family is not honoring the Lord and serving God, then your intention or your, your, your attention is going to be taken elsewhere rather than the house of the Lord. But I believe that if this verse was a promise to everyone at all time, then there would be a different statistic for pastor families, minister families. There would be a 100% response of pastors that deny ever having any issues with their children walking away from God. All their children would honor the Lord if this passage of Scripture was always true. But the problem is, is even pastors are sinners. I don't know if you knew that, but we're sinners. We're broken too. And that brokenness creates opportunity for the enemy to create dysfunction and difficulties even in a minister's family. And so we can plainly see from, from just reality that this statement, train up a child in the way they should go, is general wisdom because it's not always true. But on the other hand, I believe it's also a promise if you take into account another passage of Scripture. Jesus, or, or God gives us another promise in Hebrews chapter 12, 
I'm going to read verses 6 through 11. I want you to hear this promise come directly from the Word of God. In verse 6, it says, For the Lord disciplines those He loves, and He punishes each one as He accepts as a child. As you endure divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as His own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as He does all of His children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really His children at all. But since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in His holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's still happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be... Somebody say, there will be. After the discipline of the Lord, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. The writer of Hebrews tells us really two significant things about this promise of God. Number one, if you are a child of God, then you have a Father in heaven who is not absent, but is very interested and intentionally active in your life. And when you need some correction, He is going to bring it to you. Why? Because He loves you, and everyone He loves, or every child of His, He treats with love and correction. He doesn't want to see you bring any harm to yourself or walk in a way that's going to bring dysfunction or destruction into your life. So if you're a child of God, God is going to be active in your life. Number two, there's a promise connected with the discipline of the Lord when He brings correction. Those who He disciplines will produce a peaceful harvest of right living when that discipline is over. The, the phrase will be that we just declared there comes from a Greek word meaning to tribute or things promised under an oath. It is a promise of God that when he brings discipline into the life of his children, they will turn away from sin or their self-destructive or dysfunctional ways, and they will turn again to the Lord, living a life of holiness and righteousness, and conversely, a life of blessing. They will, as the Proverbs say, return in the way that they are old. They will not depart from the ways of the Lord. So in Proverbs 22.6, this is a, a, a proverb that is general wisdom for all. It's not always true, but it is also a promise for parents whose kids trust in the Lord. This is why not forcing religion on your kids, but leading your children to have an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ is so incredibly vital for every parent. You know, I am the fulfillment of this promise. I was saved when I was four years of age. I can still remember kneeling down at the side of my bed and my parents opening the Word of God and praying to ask Jesus Christ into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. And I can remember laying down in bed just saying over and over again, God, I want to go to heaven. I want to be saved. And I just had this passion to, to really honor the Lord. And I, I, I don't know, you know how many days or so went by, but I went started going back to school and I started telling all of my friends about Jesus. And really, I started telling my friends that if they didn't accept Jesus, they were going to go to hell. And that didn't really sit well with my friend's parents because my mom started getting phone calls from their mom saying, hey, your, kids, your kid keeps telling my kid they're going to go to hell unless they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You know, so it made it for some awkward phone calls from my parents. But I can still remember that. 
that, that I, I wanted my friends to go to heaven too. And I remember even in the first grade, leading a, a kid named Derek to the Lord right there in the middle of the class, sitting at his desk and praying to receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. But you know, when I hit the seventh grade, my life began to change and go a different direction. I was lonely. I had insecurity. I had a lot of personal and emotional issues. And I began to rebel. And it lasted for a while. Matter of fact, I was rebelling, and my attitude was such that my parents tried to get me counseling because they just didn't know how to deal with me anymore. And in my eighth grade year, we had an evangelist come to church, and my parents forced us to go. They were in ministry, so it just wasn't an option. So we had to be there every night of the revival, begrudgingly sometimes. But uh, I was there in my eighth grade year. I remember hearing the message, and God just spoke to my heart. And I remember just wanting to live my life for God, to serve him for, for the rest of my life. But that wasn't an instant fix. I didn't just turn around and become Joey the Saint child after that. It, my rebellious time, my rebellious years continued on until my sophomore year of high school. Matter of fact, my October 31st, Halloween night, my sophomore year of high school was the day I put the drugs down, walked away from all of my friends and said, God, I don't know what you want from me, but I'm giving you my whole life. I said, I'm going to walk away from the influences and the things that are taking me down, but I'm going to finally follow this call. And my life hasn't been perfect since, and I've endured my own share of divine discipline, but here I am, honoring and living to serve the Lord. This is a promise in my life because I had, from a young age, a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think the difficulty is why I believe some parents are disappointed in this promise and why their faith, they enter a crisis of faith, believing this verse and not seeing it fulfilled in their life is because at the core, they're relying on a promise that just simply does not apply to them. Their kids never truly gave their life to Jesus. They never really began a relationship. And the parents have been relying more on religious participation to save their kids than an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. They drop their kids off at church and, and pick them up later, hoping that something would stick one day. And it just doesn't work like that. And some parents are confused or at least misunderstanding the meaning of some key words in this verse that really shed light on what the Scripture is talking about. And I think if we break this verse down, we're going to see some true wisdom apply as we can begin to mold how we parent, how we shape our children, so that one day this promise will apply to us. That not only will they have a relationship with Christ, but they will live for their honor and glory. And so there are a few key phrases I want to look at today in Proverbs 22, verse 6. The first is train up or direct, depending on your translation. The second is the phrase the right path or the way they should go. And the third is the phrase when they are older. I want to look at these three um, phrases today. Number one is train up or direct. Train up or direct. Depending on the translation of the Bible that you have uh, in Proverbs 22, 6, it may say train up or direct. But there are a few things that come to mind when I think of training. Uh, I kind of relate this to going to the gym and working out. I don't do that as often as I probably should, but when I do go, I do enjoy working out. But the thing about fitness that any trainer or professional will tell you is that in order to get in shape, it is hard work. It is hard work. It takes some sacrifice sometimes, and you have to be intentional about what you're doing. Training is hard, and it requires goals and intentionality. If you want to build muscle, 
in order to build muscle, you have to break down the muscle you have in order to build new muscle on top of it to increase your strength. In order to lose weight, if you're trying to, to, to get down to a target rate, you've got to eat less calories that you intake and burn more calories than you take in on any given day in order for your body to begin using the fat stores in your body. And that takes discipline and hard work. You know, you know to, to get stronger, it's like, it's like breaking a bone. When you break a bone and it heals, the calcification around the break makes the bone stronger in that area than, all, in, than any other place in the bone so that it can handle the stress and pressure of, of future injury. The same is true with your muscles. Your muscle fibers have to be broken down before they can be built up and enable you to handle even greater weights. Training is hard and it's often unpleasant, but it's also vitally necessary if you want to meet your fitness goals. And the same is true for parenting. It is hard work, but it's also vitally necessary. Proverbs 14.4, I love this. When I came across this verse studying for this message, Solomon says, without oxen, a stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. Right? If you're a need freak and you don't like things getting messy, you don't have the ox, but if you want to eat and have a full belly, you need an ox for the harvest. You can't expect to eat and be full without what you need, and, and that's going to require your stable to get a little messy. Well, the same is true for parenting. You can't expect to raise up children and have the result that you want if you don't go through what is absolutely necessary, which gets kind of messy, in order to reap that result. See, as parents, your role in life is to be your children's personal trainer. That's your role. And that often comes at as a very difficult and stressful job, especially if both parents work out of the home. It limits the amount of time that you have to influence and be intentional with your kids. And contrary to popular belief in this culture, it's not the school's job to raise your children, and it's not the church's job to disciple your children. It's your job. It's your job. Believe it or not, public school didn't exist 400 years ago. That's a relatively new idea in the scheme of things. It's not anyone else's job to raise your child. It is your job to raise your child, and you have to do what is necessary, the hard work, to raise your children if you want to be successful. And just as we are training our children, the reality is, is God is also training us in the process. I've learned a lot about myself by having my own children. I've learned a lot about myself. But we live in a culture where parents are being taught and influenced to release more and more of their responsibilities and even to change their disciplinary methods to be more culturally relevant and sensitive, to accept different forms of discipline that the, the culture is pressuring and pressing upon us to where today some parents are trying to reason with their children as they would an adult, even down into the toddler years. And for some reason, our sociology and psychology are out of sync with our biology. They're not in sync together because the fact is the human brain doesn't fully develop until around age 25. So children, even at a young age, don't have the emotional or even physical capacity to, to reason on the level as an adult. And some of these, these new methods and training techniques are just beyond reason because they don't apply to the physical world. 
There are other issues today in modern philosophies that push toward letting your children decide many things uh, from what they'll eat each day, like they'll be able to decide proper nutrition for themselves, or what they should wear each day as if they could decide not to make themselves look like a fool, including even what gender they will be whenever they are older. I uh, read an article uh, recently that in Canada, it is a crime to influence your child to act like the gender that they were born because that is abusive. Your children will be removed from your home and you could face jail time if you try to dissuade them from living as to the way God created them in their conception. You know, biology has proven there are only two sexes, male and female, yet our world and culture continue to argue for something differently. And many believers are getting swept up in the madness because they don't know what God's word says or they don't fear him enough to seek his wisdom and let him influence their lives. There's even an assault on traditional forms of, uh, of discipline. There's a new article in Psychology Today that's entitled, Spanking is Wrong for All. And they cite researchers have looked at the effects of three undesirable behaviors in children who are spanked. Non-compliance in the short term, non-compliance in the long term, and aggression. This area is hard to study in the home because spanking rarely occurs at all and rarely in front of strangers. It's hard to study in the laboratory because of the prohibition against hurting subjects. Nevertheless, some studies have been done in one of the set of analysis with young children in the laboratory. Timeouts worked just as well as spanking for immediate subsequent compliance on 30 tasks assigned by the mother. Long-term compliance is decreased after spanking, according to this article. But the problem with this article is that the research hasn't thoroughly been done. It's extremely limited. It doesn't even give specific definitions of how the spanking was conducted and what kind of spanking is involved. But the key thing about discipline, and more importantly about spanking your child, is that there's a difference between discipline and abuse. There's a difference. Disciplinary spanking is an appropriate action based on the level of infraction with the good of the child in focus at heart. Discipline, especially disciplinary spanking, when done with the child's heart and focus and is appropriate based on the action, is a good thing. Abuse is something entirely different. Abuse is retaliation and retribution for a wrong perpetrated out of anger or some other emotional outburst. So when a parent loses their cool and uses physical discipline as just a reactionary action, and more abuse is done due to lost tempers than anything else. And I just declare to you today that abuse is never okay in any circumstance, and parents guilty of it need to repent. They need to repent. Because abuse leads to emotional scarring and spiritual scarring in your children. It hurts them deeper than you can imagine. It leads for emotional and spiritual health uh, issues for the future. Not every disciplinary issue requires spanking, but some things do. And if left undealt with in a severe way, uh, will contribute to major dysfunctional behaviors as the child ages. And you might be here today and you might be, you know what, I don't know about that spanking stuff. I think, you know, that I just am not supportive of that. I would ask you to lean into the Word of God and let God influence your mind this morning. We're going to look at what God's Word has to say about discipline, and I would just encourage you to open your heart to what God has to say. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, Solomon says, Every word of God proves true. 
When God declares the truth, when he reveals wisdom, it always proves true. And he is a shield to all who come to him for protection. God doesn't say anything in his word to hurt you. He does it to protect you. He doesn't declare anything to bring you harm, but he does to bring you blessing. Every word of God proves true. Why? We just sang it earlier. Because God is a good father. And God cannot lie. And God will not lead you to something that's going to bring pain or suffering into your life. We can trust what he says. And the deal with discipline and not disciplining your child properly, in Proverbs 29, 21, it says this, A servant pampered from childhood will become a rebel. If a child is not properly disciplined, even in a young age, they will engender and have a rebellious heart encouraged, and they will have a dysfunctional life. The natural tendency of the human heart without proper training is rebellion. This is true in any case. Children are not properly disciplined, given strong boundaries and guidelines, left to their own devices, will be rebellious in their nature, and it will not only run their households as their behavior determines the quality of life and culture in the home, but they will grow up to be dysfunctional, not being able to cope with authority, and struggling with not getting their own way. They'll become incredibly selfish. Everything in their relationships will be about them and what they want. It'll make it hard for them to properly love a spouse, to respect boundaries in the workplace, and so on and so forth. And I know people who have stopped taking their kids out to eat with them at a restaurant because they can't control the behavior of their children. They can't control that. Rather than changing their discipline system at home, they just opt to not go out to eat anymore because they can't uh, fix their kids or stop you know, the behavior at the restaurant. And, and my heart is that's such a tragedy because it's not the child's fault they don't behave. It's the parent's fault. It's the parent's fault. Rather than changing the disciplinary methods at home, they just choose to stop going to restaurants. And that's a cop-out for poor discipline. That's tossing your hand up and saying, well, we just, we just don't know what to do. But the reality is this, is what is handled at home will be handled in public. What is handled at home will be handled in public. And we need to stop abdicating our responsibility as parents and dig into what the Word of God says to lead successful homes. Proverbs 13, 24 the Word of God says those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Think about that. You don't bring proper discipline. You're actually showing hatred for your children. But those who love their children will care enough to discipline them. Again, not properly disciplining a child is to treat them with contempt. It is selfish. What it reveals is that a heart that's more concerned with how you feel than what will ultimately help your child turn out to be a successful human being. It doesn't keep their good in mind. Proverbs 23, 13 through 14 says, Don't fail to discipline your children. The rod of punishment won't kill them. Physical discipline may well save them from death. And that is the goal, to save them from hardship and struggle later in life. Spanking your child's not going to harm them in the long run, as the culture says, if it's done in the proper manner. It will, however, give them the proper guidance they need to reevaluate their decisions, their attitudes, and potentially keep them from decisions that might otherwise cause them great pain and suffering later in life. Proverbs 20, verse 30 says, Physical punishment cleanses away evil. Such discipline purifies the heart. Proverbs 22, 15 says, A youngster's heart is filled with foolishness, but physical discipline will drive it away. So the reality is, is that our enemy, 
who only wants to steal, kill, and destroy, doesn't want properly trained children because he knows a properly disciplined child will bring blessing not just to a family, but into their life later in life. You know, one of the Ten Commandments is for us to honor our father and mother, and it's attached with a blessing that if you do, your days will be long. It's the only commandment of God that has a blessing attached to it. And the enemy knows that to a rebellious child will... Uh, do exactly what he wants, bring dysfunction and destruction into a life. And so he comes up with things like bogus studies to strike fear into the heart of parents who want to honor the Lord, and his methods are working and will continue to work until Jesus comes back. Paul, as he's prophesying about the last days in 2 Timothy 3, 2, he gives an apt description of what the world will be like in the last days. He says, For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God. And what's that say? They'll be what? Disobedient to who? Their parents. They'll be ungrateful, and they will consider nothing sacred. This is going to be the state of the culture at the time of Christ's return. And if you look around, you could see we're doing a pretty good job living up to that reality. They're disobedient. Why? Because nothing demanded respect of them when they were younger. Nothing taught them to honor their parents. And such is the trend in many parenting philosophies today. Why do they hold nothing sacred? It's because they were not taught to treat or view anything as sacred. Nothing was required of them. And what spanking does, what physical discipline does, is it breaks the rebellious spirit, and maybe, depending on the child, it breaks away that demon lurking deep down that you just want to shake until you're blue in the face. You know, sometimes you're just like, come on, you know. But it's required. It is something that is a necessary thing. A proper spanking causes a child to have this aha moment that, hmm, maybe that was the wrong decision, the wrong path. Again, godly discipline is never done in anger. And after the spanking is over, a child should be welcomed immediately into the family, walk through repentance and forgiveness, because that's also part of the training and disciplinary instruction of the parents, teaching them to restore relationships, to pick themselves back up after consequences. You don't just whack the kid and leave them in the room for hours to live in shame and condemnation. God doesn't treat us that way, and we shouldn't treat our kids that way either. But even though you have parents who've been appointed by God to administer to discipline to the children, we are also to forgive as Christ forgives. We have to keep this in mind as we're disciplining, as we're bringing correction to our children, not to forget how God disciplines and leads us because Jesus forgives anyone who asks the moment they ask for forgiveness. Word of God says, if you ask for forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. The moment we ask forgiveness, relationship is restored. Holding grudges, especially against your own children, is another form of mental abuse. It's manipulation, it is wicked, and it is demonic. Discipline is not meant to be therapy for the parents. It's meant to be a tool for training for children. And many of us get swept up in the emotion and we forget the purpose for discipline. You know, it used to be that when I was younger, I was rather immature parent. And I used to really be concerned with what people thought. And, you know, out in public, our, I, I wanted our kids just to be absolutely perfect. And so I was a pretty strict and hard disciplinarian. But God got a hold of my heart. My wife and I, too, we, we repented of this long ago and been trying to make changes ever since just disciplining for our good and not our children's good. 
But now when, when I spank our kids, and I'm glad I don't have to do that much anymore, if ever, but I send them to the room so I can calm down and check my spirit, make sure I have a right heart attitude. And then after I've done that, I usually have to then talk myself to go up to the room because I get sick to my stomach thinking, even having the thought about my kids experiencing any pain. Tony will tell you I can't even take them to a doctor's appointment because I want to punch out the doctor when he's giving them a shot or something like that. I just can't stand that thought of my family being in pain. But when I go up there, I have a conversation with them. I make sure they understand exactly what happened, why it was wrong, and why they're getting the consequence they're getting. I make sure they understand what the expectations are, the reason why they're getting a spanking, how we've talked about it. You knew this was coming if you made the decision. I also let them know I love them, and the reason why they're getting spanked is because I want them to grow up to be a successful human being, and I don't want them to deal with the consequences of bad decisions that this type of attitude or behavior will lead to later in life. And I give them their spanking until I know their spirit is broken, and then I hold them dearly until they stop crying and reinforce my love for them, reassure that, that, that I love them, that they're forgiven, that I walk them through repentance and forgiveness. Often we pray and ask the Lord to forgive us, and I give them their next steps on how to uh, reconcile with maybe the person they wronged or whatever issue was, was done. We talk about the cross and what Jesus did and how he died to forgive us of our sins and reasons like this or why we need a Savior. And I have some really good kids. I really do. But my youngest son, Asher, has been the most trying of all of our children. I think every parent has at least one uh, of those. You know, I think if we had gotten Asher first, we would have had one one child instead of four. I I don't know if anybody can relate to this. But... uh, you know, he really needed a lot of discipline early on, and I, I'm convinced of this. If we didn't spank him early on, today we probably would not be able to control him. He is a very strong-willed child. He just does what he thinks, and he doesn't think about the repercussions of it and sometimes doesn't even care after he does it. He's just that kind of kid. But my personal opinion is some kids, I mean, you need to get an early start on your discipline. Some need to be spanked before they're even one years old. And you think I'm crazy, but I, I was told to me when I was younger that, that um, someone just gave me that wisdom. Like, yeah, you need to get started before one. If not, you're going to have a heck of a time. And believe it or not, Asher had started getting it before he was one years old. He just, he was that strong-willed. But we need to analyze each child and give them the proper discipline that they need, or you're setting yourself up for trouble. He was a very trying toddler And he's still our most spirited child, but you know what? He's a blessing every day. He's a blessing every day. And the deal with parents, though, who fail to discipline appropriately their children, again, every child needs different correction. There's not a one-size-fits-all. But many parents have chaotic homes, and they're stressed out of their mind, and they're overwhelmed because of uncontrollable kids. And it's simply because they have failed to train and direct their child properly. Proverbs 29, 17 says, Discipline your children, and they will give you peace of mind and make your heart glad. This is what the Word of God says. If you're doing it right, if you're giving them what they need, they will make your heart glad and give you peace of mind. The reality is the Word says children are a blessing from God. And one of the most disheartening things that I've seen and experienced is a parent who knows they should be proud of their child, but they weep because they can't stand their child. It's a very difficult, and it's a very hard situation to process. 
But that's not God's intention for the family. Proverbs 29, 15 says to discipline a child to produce wisdom, and but a mother is disgraced by an undisciplined child. And many will look at their kids as they're acting a fool. And it's hard, especially in a church setting, because, you know, you want to just love on and take care of everyone. But even in a church setting, you know, parents will look at their kids as they're acting a fool. And rather than giving discipline, they'll make excuses. The mother bear or the father bear comes out and they'll say, oh, well, they're just tired. Or, well, they just had too much sugar today. Or they just won't this. Or they just don't do that. Or, or you know, whatever the case is. When everyone else in the room is thinking, no, they don't need a diet change. They don't need a nap. They need a swift kick in the pants is what they need. It's discipline. The reality is it's not the kids that don't or that they won't. It's that the parents haven't. And we have to wrestle with these truths and stop blaming everyone and everything else. As long as parents are making excuses and don't change their own disciplinary methods, they will be training their children to be uncontrollable by not giving them the training they need. Proverbs 20 verse 11 says, even children are known by the way they act, whether their conduct is pure and whether it is right. And the problem with undisciplined kids and parents who make excuses is rather than giving them the proper training, is you are determining for your child the reputation your kids will have among your entire sphere of influence. And no parent wants to be the parent of the child that no one wants to come over to play. No parent wants to be the parent of the child no one wants to watch in the nursery or have in class at school. All the, you know, my wife substitute taught, and she was there for some of the back alley conversations with teachers, and you better believe that they try to negotiate who gets to go where and how many kids that are known for being rebellious get to go to which classes and which teachers can handle them and which they don't. No parent wants that to be known of their child. They want their child to be the one that receives favor and a good reputation. And the question is, parents, is will you trust God? Will you seek wisdom from the Lord, the one where wisdom is born, and submit to him? Or are you going to continue to follow the behaviors and customs of this world? So training is difficult, and so is parenting. It's hard for the child, and it's also hard for the parent. But if you're going to meet your goals, it is vitally necessary. Using the weightlifting analogy, you know, if I work out for, for weeks on end and I'm doing great, if I take a few days off and I go back to the gym, it, it's like I never started working out to begin with. And the same is true for parenting. If you're not consistent, you will suffer loss. The key to good training and good discipline as a parent and in parenting is consistency. You don't have to be overly harsh or overly fierce. Having strong and consistent boundaries creates security in a child. The studies prove it, that children feel more loved with strong boundaries than they do with just a footloose and fancy-free lifestyle. It creates order in the home and helps ensure you're heading in the right direction. And you can't discipline well, you can't train well if you don't know the goals that you need to have in mind. Number two says the right path or the way they should go. Those phrases... They describe or imply a destination. There's a direction. There's a path that you're going. It implies goals in mind. A trainer or a nutritionist, nutritionist will tell you, if you don't have goals in mind for a fitness plan, if you're not intentional, you'll never reach your dreams. You'll never reach your fitness goals. You know, I've gone to the gym, and sometimes I see guys come into the, the weight area, and they'll, they'll pump out one rep, you know, one, one thing really strong, and then they'll sit on the bench for like 25, 30 minutes, and they'll just be on their phone. And I'm like, what are you doing? 
Wasting all that time. You're not, you're not accomplishing anything. You know, you, you, they're walking on the, the treadmill at snail speed and not even getting their heart rate up. And you're like, what are you doing? You got to have goals in mind because the goals determine the intensity. They determine the direction. No one becomes a bodybuilder without intentionality, and no one reaches their weight loss goals without intentionality. You just can't show up and expect to reach your goals. You have to be intentional. And there are really two main goals that God gives us in his word for parenting or for parenthood laid out in his word. There are two goals for parents. The first is found in Genesis, but Jesus reiterates it in Matthew 19, verse 5. Here's what Uh, Jesus says, and he says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. The first goal of parenthood, number one, is you are to be preparing your children to leave home and be successful. Children gotta go one day. They just got to, and it's your job as mom and dad to train them to be successful when they leave. They need to know how to take care of themselves. They need to know how to take care of a family and their finances. Men need to know how to be the primary provider, how to be the protector, and how to be the pastor of their homes. And our culture is failing in that area miserably. Our wives, our daughters need to know how to be primary caregiver, partner, and counsel. And and we're seeing the, the brokenness of the family unfold in our culture. There's a trend in fad in our day, especially among millennials, that Younger children are not growing up to leave the home, and many things that used to be norms aren't norms anymore. Matter of fact, it used to be normal that the day a child turned 16, they'd get to skip school, parents would take them to get their license, they'd get their driver's license, and now they could drive. It's like a a rite of passage. It's not happening anymore like that. There's so many different reasons why kids aren't getting their licenses, but many just don't have the aspiration or drive or desire to even get it because that engenders responsibility. That means growing up, and they just don't want to do that. But what a parent's job or role is is to prepare them to be successful. In my view, especially with the experience I had at community college teaching in the Workforce Education Center, is that the earlier you can get a jump start on that path, the better it is for the child. By age 16, if they have a driver's license, now they can go to work. And they have two years of job experience they can acquire before they graduate high school, which is a necessary thing to find gainful employment later on. Many kids are graduating high school with zero experience. They're going to college, and they come to graduate, and they can't find a job because they have no experience and no resume. And it's the parent's job that is to train them in a way that they can graduate and be successful, which is one of the reasons why they stay at home longer because they just can't find work. They've not been prepared. A child that can drive, a child that has a vehicle, prevents the parents from having to be logistical ninja for their entire life or for the, you know, the time their kids are older. In our area, specifically in Genesee County, there are not many high-paying jobs that are within walking distance to many homes. You've got to drive. You've got to be mobile. So the earlier a teen can drive and work, the earlier opportunities parents have to teach them about bills, responsibility, managing a checkbook, due dates, late payments, etc. on a smaller scale that's going to be far less detrimental than trying to figure all that on their own when they have their own family. Again, I used to work at Mott, the Workforce Education Center. My job was teaching job skills and training, and you wouldn't believe how many students didn't even know how to do just very basic things that should have been taught in the home all along. Skills are severely lacking in the younger generations. 
But again, part of the reasons why kids are staying home longer is because parents are not putting in the effort to raise their children to go out on their own and be successful. There's a, an article in the newspaper not long ago of two parents that took their 30-year-old son to uh, court to have him evicted because he wouldn't leave their house. He just wouldn't leave. And, and you think that's funny, but it's a common thing. You have grown-up children who would find it easier to play Xbox or video games in mom and dad's basement rather than grow up and be successful and go out on their own. They're moving the date for adolescence to up into the 20s because the maturity level of many isn't growing at the rate that it used to. We have to remember as parents, there's a difference between empowerment and enablement. Those are two different things. Empowerment is providing a place while your child is working hard with goals and aspirations in mind. Enablement is continuing to pay their way and allow them to, you know, just kind of float through life, hoping one day they'll just have the light switch turn on. And it will be a lot harder for a parent to try to teach an adolescent child or young adult the lessons they should have learned as a younger child for the future if you don't begin with strong discipline and guidance when they're young. God is trying to uh, set you up for success and prevent your later years with your children from being a struggle. So the first goal of parenting is to raise your children for success. The second goal as parents is we are to raise godly offspring. Malachi chapter 2, verse 15 says, Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife and body and spirit? You are his. And what does he want? He wants godly children from your union. So guard your heart and remain loyal to your wife of your youth. I would argue that the parent's main role in life is to raise children who honor and serve the Lord. You know, it's a fallacy that many parents believe that if they just take their kids to church, they'll turn out okay. Don't get me wrong, exposing them to the gospel, having them in class, in the presence of God is vital to their spiritual growth. But what makes a greater impact in a child's life more than what happens on Sunday morning is what happens in home on Monday. The greater impact that happens in a child's life is not what happens at church on Sunday, it's what happens in the home on Monday. If attending worship services is not important to the children, it's not going to be, or not important to the parents, it's not going to be important to the kids. If serving in church is not important to the parents, it won't be important to the kids. If praying in the home is not important to the parents, it's not going to be important to the kids. If being in the Word of God and studying the Word of God is not important to the parents, it's not going to be important to the kids. If tithing, being generous, and all the things that we expect of a mature follower of Christ is not important to the parents, it won't be important to the kids. Mom and dad, if you're not having gospel conversations with your kids, making Jesus the center of your home, teaching them to pray, teaching them the word, teaching them how to interpret the scriptures so when they move out on their own, they can continue to live a successful, growing relationship with Jesus Christ, it's not going to be important to them either or for their future families. We're creating the legacy that our children are going to leave in our homes that we're living today. More is caught at home than taught on Sunday. And it's important for parents to model for their children what they desire to see later in life. You know, my wife and I, we have this burden on our hearts. It's a startling statistic that many pastors' kids don't grow up to serve the Lord. And that haunts me day and night. And what we often try to do is we try to speak 
into our kids' lives, to talk about, you know, the Lord. We, we read a Bible verse at night, and we discuss it. We pray together. But my wife and I are often, we're just trying to speak truth into their lives and declare over them, even prophetically, what we believe God has placed in them, the purpose that God has placed for their lives. All four of our children are uniquely gifted and qualified, and we just have a heart to see them grow in the Lord. And we just declare, you know, I believe Asher is trying as he is. I believe he's going to grow up to be a minister or a pastor one day. So we're speaking that over him. Reese, he is on our technical team. He is very savvy with computers. He's a brilliant kid. He's smart. And I believe he's going to open doors in business for the kingdom of God like nobody else. My daughter, London... She's such a sweet spirit. I believe she's going to be a missionary and change culture and nations. My daughter Jocelyn is an administrator. She's organized, and she's going to set up the kingdom of God for success. And we speak these things over our kids week in and week out, day in and day out. Why? Because we want them to grow up not just to know who God is, but to love him and live for their purpose, to live up to what God's created them for. And so we're doing this with a heart that desires to see God work and move in their lives. Our job as parents is not to get them to pray a prayer or attend a Sunday service. It's to know the Lord, to love the Lord. Even we're speaking to their lives now that when they get older and they look for a spouse, the most important thing that they look for is not someone who believes in God because the Word of God says even the demons believe and tremble. It's not enough for someone to believe in God. It's, they need to look for someone who loves Jesus because someone who loves Jesus will pray. They will attend church. They will read their Bible. They will give. They will evangelize. They will live for God's honor and glory. And we speak these things over and over again because it matters more than anything else in all the world. We gotta be intentional. We gotta be parenting and guiding in a way that leads them to know the Lord, to love the Lord, and to live up to their purpose. Finally, number three, as we begin to close. The last phrase says, when they are older. This phrase does not mean children will never stray. I don't want you to think that for a second. It doesn't mean they'll never stray or ever question. But what it does mean is that there's a promise that after a time, if they stray, they will return. And parenting is not just about directing them to follow Jesus. It's helping them discover who they are as a son or daughter of the Most High God, to find their identity in Christ, to discover God's call in their life. And we believe that as we direct them that way, from the cradle to the grave, that there'll be seeds sown in their heart deep down that God will use as he guides them on their life, even through a time of trying to figure things out, to call them back and help them reach their greatest potential in Jesus Christ. I believe wholeheartedly that even after a time of straying, because each one of my children I know have a relationship with Christ, that they will come back and they will leave a harvest of blessing. The other day, I was talking to my son Asher, and I don't even remember what we were talking about. And we were talking about him growing older. And I said something like I always do. I said, yeah, you know, that's great. But you know what matters more than that? That the fact that you love Jesus when you're older. And he looked at me and he said, I do love Jesus. He just said it just so matter-of-factly. And it just touched my heart because I know this promise applies to him. 
that as we train him up in the way he should go, when he's older, even if his rebellious spirit or strong will takes him off the godly path for a time, God is ensuring his return. God is ensuring he leaves a godly legacy. My heavenly father is not leaving me to parent him alone, but my father who's fathering me is also fathering my son because my son is his son. And God's never going to leave him or forsake him. So this promise applies. And the good news is, parents, you are not parenting alone. As difficult as the job is, as as many mistakes that we make, as many failures that we kick ourselves for or regrets that we have because of immaturity when we are young, the good news is, is you are not doing it alone. God is beside you. God is going before you. God is speaking in you, working through you. God is there. And we have a promise in Romans 8.28 that says, God will take everything, the good or the bad, and work it together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his promises. It doesn't matter what mistakes you've made. God can use it for good. It doesn't matter what mistakes your children have made. God will use it for good. Your father is going to father you or mother you as you father or mother your children. He's going to guide you as you guide them. He's going to carry you as you carry them. And he's going to hold you when you say goodbye to them. Because our God is a good God. We want to leave a godly legacy. That we need to live up to our purpose as parents. We need to train our children in the way they should go. So when they are older, they will not depart from it. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes in this place. As we go into a time of response. I don't know what your life has been today. I don't know where your journey has led you. I don't know what your relationship with God is like. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. There's never been a time in your life where you gave Jesus your heart and declared him to be your Lord and Savior, where you ask God to forgive you of your sins and to come in and live inside of you. You can do that today and you can become adopted into the family of God and know that your heavenly Father loves you and cares for you as Jesus makes his home in your heart. In just a minute when we stand and pray, I invite you to come forward and meet me down in the front and we will pray and pray a prayer that will change your life forever. Maybe you're here today and you're older, your children have left home and maybe as you think about your life, you didn't train up your children in the way they should go. Today, you don't have to have regret or or worry because today you can begin today what you wish you did yesterday. You can be the example today that points your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids to Christ and leave a godly imprint on your family. Maybe you're here and you're young and you have small children and you recognize that you've been influenced by the world and in the ways of parenting and the purpose for parenthood. It's just like me years ago, you realize that parenting has been more about you than it has been about raising your children to be successful and to honor the Lord. That's you here today in just a moment when we stand for prayer, no matter what God's been speaking to your heart, this front row of seats, we just turn into an old fashioned altar It just symbolizes laying yourself down at the feet of the Savior, asking God to work in your life, giving over your burdens and and struggles to Him, allowing the Spirit of God to minister to your heart. 
Whatever it is, maybe there's something else, there's a health issue or anything else you have going on. In just a moment, when we stand and pray, I just invite all who God is speaking to to come forward, lay yourself down, and allow the Spirit of God to pray. We'll have some uh, prayer team members up front to be available to pray with you. But Heavenly Father, we just pray now in this moment. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you don't leave us fatherless, that you come alongside, and that as inadequate as we are as parents, God, we know if we trust in you and we do our best to honor you, to live by wisdom, God, we have a promise that our children will grow up to honor the Lord. And we thank you, God, for that promise. I just pray that it ministers hope and healing to many hearts here today. Be with us now as we go into a time of prayer. Holy Spirit, draw every heart. Lead all who need to come to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand as we sing.